Morning and welcome to this, the fourth podcast from Trademark Belfast. I'm Stefan Anuline. I'm here with my comrade as usual, Mel Corrie. Uh, and today, very special guest, Matt Collins. Matt is a long-time friend of ours, um, head of research in Hope Not Hate. Hope Not Hate, for those of you who don't know, probably one of Britain's most radical and successful, indeed, political action groups, taking on, observing, but also taking on the far right and the rise of fascism. We're here today because last night Matt had a book launch um, of his new book, which he wrote, or co-wrote, I should say, with Robbie Mullen, uh, title of the book, Nazi Terrorists, The Story of National Action, and it's been described as, I only got it last night, so I've only read the first chapter, mate, last night, but <laughs> I'm getting there, it's been described as astonishing, disturbing, revealing, fascinating, a startling insight into the Nazi death cult called National Action, I suppose we'll kick off with, with that one, Matt, because mm. as you know, trademark, we're an anti-sectarian group, we're an anti-racist group, but yes. I ne- I'd never heard of them. Really? <laughs> I'd hardly heard of National Action. It seemed to come came out of nowhere. So, so who are they? Where, um, where did they come from? Okay, well, the roots of National Action lie in you know the electoral collapse of the BNP, the mm-hmm. British National Party, 2010, the British National Party, BNP, collapsed on the back of... Your campaign, a lot on of On the back of our though. campaign, yeah, the, the Hope Not Hate campaign. But two, uh, 2009, when they got two MEPs elected, they got a million votes, and... 2010, they set their sights on possibly one or two MPs, and actually on the, on the back of our campaign, they had a complete collapse. Not just at the not just at the parliament, you know, parliamentary ballot box, but also in the local elections. So they they were crushed and destroyed. And I just throw in there, it puts pain, doesn't it, sometimes to the story that Brexit has caused the, far, the rise of the far right when you were talking about ten years ago. I've been, yeah, I've been arguing this quite a bit about people have to get it right about what is the rise of the far right. Literally, there is no rise of the the far right. I think I answered that question mm. last night about Farage. But so 2010, the BNP collapsed with it. it well, it had, a, had an electoral collapse, and with it went people who we'd always known weren't ideologically tied to the BNP sort of neo-Nazism. They were people who were tied to the the, the ideas that the BNP spoke about, an old England with you know warm beer and uh, <laughs> black people and Asian people living in concentration camps. And, you know, towards the end, the BNP did sort of talk about that. Um, so a lot of people just left, and that led to the UKIP shifting to the right, because although it was larger than the BNP... There was a million votes going spare mm. there. And, and in the long-term context, of course, Farage and UKIP took some of the more palatable ideas of the BNP around immigration in particular into the mainstream. And that's caused, I think, that, that's been problematic now for 10 years. Um, and those who were left over in the BNP, they ended up, uh, going into various organisations, we'd had the rise of the English Defence League. So it was like a scattering of them into yeah, various the, groups. Yeah, they, they scattered, but what was clear was none, none were interested in going down the electoral path again. They'd all said in, in retreat, it's a waste of time. Um, in British politics, no one ever gets deselected or unelected. It, there's always a conspiracy, isn't there? We, we, and so if you're in the BNP, it became evident, oh, yes, there is a Jewish conspiracy mm. against us here. And some went to the English Defence League because they believed recreational violence and recreational rioting. Some stayed in the BNP or went to other small groups. But it was the end of them. The, you know, the electoral experiment, they gave, up, they gave up on it quite quickly and early, to be honest. But it was, it was a precipitous collapse, though, wasn't it, as well? So maybe, you know. Once it, yeah, These people never... You know, if you lose your election, you sort of regroup and fight another one. But they just said, ah... 
Tried that, move on. Try, but it's, 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 it's not working. All of our conspiracies have come, come true. And what we saw bubbling away underneath it was the old sort of BNP youth wing, very, very young people who were radicalised inside the BNP. They saw they had no opportunity to engage in the electoral path. They saw it had been wrecked and ruined before them. And slowly and surely the ideas came together and national action was formed. So by 2013, very, very young, disturbed, spotty, bedroom-dwelling fascists <laughs> who were the, the generation that had grown up with social media mm-hmm. uh, and learned to control it very, very well to their ends were coming together with new ideas and it was basically the electoral path has been proven to not work and here we are the and here we are we're young we're ideological we're, we're Nazis we believe in Nazis we believe in Hitler we believe in Mosley and we need to start again and so were, they, were they linked to any way online if you like to some of the alt-right in America stuff or was it mainly European yeah it's not I, I don't use the term alt-right to describe as people because they're just they're, they're just Nazis and I think some people mm. feel more comfortable with just saying oh it's alt-right because I don't really am I going to get sued for saying someone in a Nazi costume is a, a Nazi they're Nazis <laughs> What was interesting about it, I've, asked this, I've been asked this quite a bit, the American extreme far-right's obsession with Britain in particular was that uh, Atom Waffen Division, which is probably better known, which is the American Nazi group that has killed people and planted bombs, one of them fired a rocket launcher at a nuclear power plant. I mean, that's, that's, that's serious shit, right? That's quite ambitious. Yes, it was, well, uh, yeah. How, how big is your ambition today? Well, watch what I'm about to do. Um, they mimicked national action, and there was this really good in the early days. Watching like national action talking about if only we could, if only we could, if only we could have guns and march around with guns. And then the next week, Atom Waffen Division would all have their mm. guns and say, "Look at us, we've got guns." So there was an American obsession, as there always had been, yeah. with the, with the uh, British far right. And we monitored, um, uh, you know, these like internet radio shows they have now. Um, so. When the very early national uh, national action prisoners got out, people that had gone to prison for um, tweeting MPs, vicious things, uh, uh, female MPs, female Jewish MPs, um, in in America, people were horrified that someone, had, what you, you were sent to prison for saying a Jewish MP should be murdered in a Holocaust and gassed, and she's a horrible kike, and you encouraged thousands of other people to do it to her, and you went to prison. Oh my God! So we saw how the how America and what Americans thought, both financially and mm-hmm. socially, was really important to national action. They, 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 their bank accounts were filled by angry conservative Americans worried yeah. about um, the erosion of the... Uh, so relatively well-resourced at their level, at least, in terms of access to a few... At, at the time they were banned, they had more money in their bank account than probably the Tory party. <laughs> well, not that good, but they had £10,000 in their account. It's an extraordinary amount of money for a bunch of kids who never used it to print... You know, election leaflets yeah, or pay election yeah. deposit. Was um, I suppose one of the other questions about national action because you know people are always asking is what were the numbers like? I mean, I know it's hard to, it's hard to define that, particularly when there's an online presence. Sometimes more than there is people turning up to meetings and stuff. But what kind of numbers yeah. are people you're talking about? Don't yeah, don't. And ever, there are probably layers of people involved. Don't yeah, well, but don't don't ever judge the far right on, on its size. Don't ever yeah. judge. Don't ever judge how dangerous it is on how many numbers it's got. Mm. It it boiled down. They had a, a few moments of success during their time. Uh, after the after the the tweet they sent about Joe Cox, don't let this man's uh, sacrifice go in, in vain. Talking about Thomas Mayer who murdered Joe Cox, they got hundreds of inquiries about membership, and 
after they had they were driven out of Liverpool on two occasions by anti-fascists, violently drove them out of Liverpool on, on demonstrations. They had thousands of inquiries. Every time they got publicity, they got more and more inquiries, more and more people were interested in joining. But by the time it boiled down, I think we ended up no, at no stage greater than 200. Mm-hmm. And by the time it finished, they were probably down to about 60. But yes, because the, the, the group did disperse. And also, it's, it's important that people realise that you know, the new model of politics is like anything else, I guess, in society. You don't have to know each other or be active with each other or meet each other. Although National Action did have a thing about we have to meet and, and, and work each other out. Once they'd sent their minions off into the earth, you know, where mm-hmm. you, you can't any longer see them. I guess their tentacles spread quite, quite and a lot. And, and the thing about the book, of course, the book tells a particular story, and again, it is a fascinating uh, story, yeah. um, and it is a plot, and it is a plot to murder a British politician, it is a plot to assassinate. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the plot, mate, and, and, and more importantly... Assassinate sounds really sexy, doesn't it? But actually, it's really, but actually, it's really just quite grubby. Yeah. You know, people in the pub don't say, I'm going to go and assassinate, they say, I'm going to go and kill someone, but yeah, it's an assassination. A, a young guy I'd known for years... Uh, called Jack Renshaw. He was one of these up-and-coming types in the BNP, very wooden, cherub-like. He'd gone to university, but he'd failed, I think, because while he was at university, the BNP split, and it, 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 uh, a lot of responsibility came upon him during the split about what side to take, and he be, he'd been quite an object of ridicule because he was very, very tiny, you know, and he, he was a young man who dressed like an old man. Uh, but he was viciously anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. And we watched him sort of go from someone that had potential to one day lead the BNP, a respectable-looking BNP, and his trajectory was just completely down. He was writing blogs about the Jews of vermin and quite often thinking, wow, how, it's interesting that he would write stuff like that because this will come back to haunt him. And then, so we'd watched his career, and then he ended up in, in national action. We watched him make uh, a couple of speeches in 2016, where he basically called on people present to to, to treat uh, immigrants and, and, and Jews as vermin, as parasites that should be dealt with. We then got a hidden recording where he addressed a, a, a secret meeting in, in Yorkshire where he bragged that um, he'd taken shooting lessons and hunting lessons and other people should do and take this opportunity to go out and hunt down Jews and vermin. And we were really, really concerned about that because it, it was the use of the language... Mm. And, where, and people's common mistake with looking at National Action was they, they weren't all dif- that different to Jack Renshaw. They were very, very skinny, bedroom-dwelling boys. They did martial arts and they did uh, boxing training and all this, but they didn't look particularly particularly hard, and we'd seen they weren't particularly hard. Yeah, they had a couple of hard members, but most of them you know, were very, very slight young men. And to the point that... In 2017, after the organisation had been banned by the Home Secretary, we had someone inside National Action still, and that Jack Renshaw went to this meeting of the northwest branch of National Action, which is where their secret leader was and where it was in the northwest they had their gym and all that, and said that he was going to kill Rosie Cooper, his MP, and he was also going to kill a police officer that was investigating him in what National Action members thought was in relation to the speeches he'd made in 2016. But it turned out he was going to kill Rosie Cooper and this police officer to 
divert attention from the fact he was actually being investigated for paedophilia. He'd been he'd been um, he'd been grooming young boys online and exchanging pictures. And when he was at court uh, before the, the the terror trial, he he claimed that uh, Hope Not Hate had done it, that we'd um, been able somehow to get into his telephone and take pictures of his. Bottom you're describing a weird and send to and send to young boys. You're describing, I suppose, a weird intersection between ideology and psychology for a lot of these young lads. It, it was sickness mm. because I, I've said it before, and it, and it was in defeat. I think that towards the end, Hitler wasn't enough for them. They were just so desperate to kill someone, so desperate we must bomb bomb something or kill something or kill someone that they didn't really care. Which it was just—it was a death cult. In how did you find? How did you find? I mean, that, how did you find out that particular plot? Was it you and someone on the inside? Had you recorded the meeting? Did someone we, come we, to you? We, we we had someone on the inside, but we didn't record those meetings because that is very very dangerous mm. when you go out with this sort of paranoid people. Robbie Mullen came to us after the group was banned. He said he appreciated that hope not hate had never given up hunting the group and exposing the group and ridiculing the group because that's a large part of bringing fascists down is through ridicule but he said um, you know it's far more dangerous far more dangerous than you ever thought and it was him who told us about their gym their secret office their new leadership and we had him inside there the object was to bring him out but uh, Robbie was in there when the, the murder plot was was, yeah. was yeah, coming together so, so um, without um uh, you know, I'm mindful of spoiling the. Don't uh, spoil the plot. Yeah, so it's not on TV yet. All the Game of Thrones out there yeah. listening in, but um, I've never watched it. Yeah, apparently, yeah. apparently she dies at the end. Is that right? Uh, I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, but there's no Game of Thrones fans in here. Mm. But um, you, you've, you're no stranger to um, uh, Northern Ireland and, oh, yes. and examining uh, the links. Um, you know, however tenuous they might be with the far right and, and elements within Northern Ireland, yeah. And we're, we're in, uh, involved in a number of of, of projects here, and, and um, um, Goldine and, and Jaden Franson have, have, have uh, tried to get a foothold here in, in Northern Ireland, and we're quite concerned that um, the uh, potential for something that. Yeah, uh, similar to that happened in Britain could could kick off here. Do you want to talk about that or of your experience? Electorally, or you just think? Um, well, the Britain First situation is. I think, I think they're about to get a, a bit of a nasty shock. Um, Franson and Golden are no longer working together in, in Britain First. She was his cash cow. Um, every time Britain First needed some money, Jada Franson would make an appeal in a very. Uh, Cleavage exposing top, and she would talk about Jesus and, and all that, and that that brought money in. She's left the group now. Golding has left Northern Ireland again. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. He had, he was thinking of he was thinking of um, they used Northern Ireland. Uh, Britain First was formed in people people were unaware of this. Britain First was formed in Northern Ireland. It was constituted in Northern Ireland. Jim Dowson and Paul Golding mm. uh, did it together. And the attraction to Northern Ireland from Britain First and other far right groups is that people in Britain, who um, people in Britain view you know, Northern Ireland as a place where there's sexy guns and sexy uniforms and face masks and killers at all. And I think Golding had used has u- had used that that he was coming to Northern Ireland and active 
in Northern Ireland to raise some funds or get some kudos in Britain. Yeah, it began in our experience as a kind of almost like a, a, a war tourism for some of the far right. That's right. Perfect. They kind yeah. of turned up here and got a photograph with a gun and a flag behind them, and you know they went back to England again. But as you said, they can hang around with people who they thought were hard yeah. because they had access to weaponry. But I always felt, or we always felt, that it was until some of the work that I hope not hated actually that it was personal rather than institutional. But it became institutional too in terms of those links. I mean. Dawson and you know, remember the call centre. The, 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 oh, the, the, B, the, were, the BNP call centre. I mean, here for quite a long time, were, haven't they? Yeah, yeah when, when the know. BNP call centre was here, it was the best time of my life. <laughs> Coming to Belfast and, you know, going down the Hewitt on a Friday night and then on Saturday. Um, yeah, I, when, when, they, when the BNP opened their, off, off their call centre in, in Belfast, they opened Dundonald, wasn't it, 2008, mm. 2009. That was because it was a low-wage economy here. I remember talking to you about it at mm-hmm. the time. The I was talking about the the benefits of the BNP being here is that you know they're not going to get some trot running across Donald with a red flag to plant on their office. Let's be honest. <laughs> and and there was other benefits: low-wage economy. You know, you can employ people here mm-hmm. quite quite cheaply, and the rent's cheap, and that's and Dawson was here. Um, the collapse of the BNP was sad because I now had to leave Belfast and go home. It was awful. There was no other reason to come here anymore. And, and now, and now Golden. But there's a huge, huge attraction to Northern Ireland. I think, it's, I think also, to be fair to Northern Ireland and Ireland as a whole, much of what the British far right believe about Ireland and Northern Ireland is completely untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are certain attitudes in, in communities which I think might be beneficial or that the Britain First in particular have tried to tap into. But I think the reality of it is the the Britain First operation here is doomed to fail. Yeah. They never it, managed to get a foothold, did they? Really? We're not. Yeah, we're not going to see Paul Golden marching down the street with a UVF pipe band, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably what he would he would like to see. And the the other thing is, as I know, that there are certain people in the, in, in loyalist organisations who don't like Paul Golden marching up and down their streets with his sort of bin bag wearing types with collecting tins, and I understand that after these recent difficulties he's had in court and the fallout with the the woman on the Shankill Road, where he's accused her of corruption, the fallout with Jada Franson, which which has opened up, I think a lot of people had a chance over here to have a look inside Britain first, and they themselves... Yeah, so Jolene Bunton on the, on the, the Shankill. The woman that lost her council seat there. She lost her council seat. But Paul Golden, when he came out of prison, opened up a, a front against her, accused her of, of theft, whether that's true or not. And I think, you know, another thing that people in Britain don't really understand is that people on the Shankill or the Sandy Row loyalists don't particularly like the English anymore than anybody else. <laughs> and that's, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. So Golden used... Northern Ireland as, 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 as like a boat hole, somewhere to hide, somewhere to raise money, somewhere to raise his kudos in Britain because we don't get Tommy Robertson visiting here very much. But the other reason for it is, which has been discussed slightly in Northern Ireland under the Good Friday Agreement, certain people um, are made particular guarantees about their politics or their, their business interests. They cannot be uh, held against them. Things they've done previously... You know, the, with prejudice, mm-hmm. people can't be there can't be prejudice used against them. When Facebook, Twitter, PayPal, and a host of other organisations have, have taken action against the extremism of Britain First, um, Britain First have tried to use loopholes under the Good Friday Agreement to say, well, you can't actually you can't actually do that. I think Jim Dowson did it against Facebook and against PayPal. 
um, stand well actually under the Good Friday Agreement. And I know that, I believe that Dowson has issued writs against Facebook in, in Dublin and that some of these organisations are reading the Good Friday Agreement and that there are certain solicitors in, in Belfast who are, are hoping to make a lot of money on the back of this and Golding, of course, has it in his benefit that Britain First was formed and, and founded here. He was a founding member of the Protestant Coalition, was mm-hmm. it? Yeah. For the flag disputes. You and so he's tried to use Northern Ireland as that. But Northern Ireland is just you know, so many exciting things have happened here so long ago. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing it last night. What was National Action's uh, opinion about United Ireland? Were they firmly loyalist and unionist? And no they weren't. They looked at what Mosley believed in. All white people should rule themselves. Ireland is one country. And that was like, wow, that's really un- that's really unusual for yeah. an organisation. And then their members in Scotland said, hold on, <laughs> hold on. And so that was the only argument they ever really had was, was, was about Northern Ireland. Post-Good Friday children, they never knew about, or they knew very little about bombs in Liverpool or Warrington or Belfast or British soldiers dying or mm-hmm. Bloody Sunday and things like that. And they, they were just like, it doesn't really concern us anymore. It's a, one, of, one of the things that's been interesting to us recently is obviously those links between... <clears throat> Excuse me, Northern Ireland and, and and Britain in terms of the far right are things that you've looked at and we've looked yeah. at and you keep your eye on them and you know yeah. the history of it and you worked here. But one of the things we never really had to worry about in the past, at least, was was the any neo-Nazi action or groups forming in the Republic of Ireland. It never really took hold there, and and for decades you investigated. There was a couple of you know Cranks. kind of corporatist fascist Cor- things in the nineteen yeah, thirties, forties. This kind of our tradition in the south. But in the last year alone, there's been a significant increase online, at least with. Anti- saw, anti-immigrant sentiment. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I saw Irish tricklers on Sandy Row mm-hmm. when Generation Identity Ireland were marching in support of Stephen Lennon and Tommy Robinson. Irish tricklers on Sandy Row, and then marching through Belfast with Union Jacks and Irish tricklers together. Who'd have ever thought you'd have seen seen that unity through fascism? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, for Tommy Robinson, the British Irish, not well, what's fascist. Your, what's your, I mean, we've noticed it. And t- now, I suppose one of the things that we're concerned about, and as a friend of ours doing a bit of work for us down south, you could probably know, kind of monitoring the online stuff to see is it is it just an online presence and w- will it have a physical manifestation? Because there has we, been some burning yeah. of my, uh, uh, refugee centres and attacks like that. So, yeah, there, there has been. That? Very, very difficult to gauge it because I, I don't want to look at Ireland and say, oh, because I'm from England, I know terribly much more mm. about this than you. But I would tend to say that Irish, although we've always sort of thought, well, the Irish have a very kind and, and understanding history with immigration and immigration. Uh, but I think the same attitudes prevail amongst people. Online, Ireland seems to have issue, the same sort of issues that people have in Britain. I think it comes down to Ireland's having a difficult time economically. I know there's a huge housing crisis. Mm-hmm. There's things, but your distrust in in politics, in, in politics, same politics. Yeah, stuff. The, the detachment from politics, yeah. the anti-political politics. What when we see it online, and we was talking about it in, in in Dublin on Monday night, people get so really shocked by it because they come from a position that oh, we've always been right and we've always cared about these people, and now they're sort of rejecting our progressive ideas and the fact that we care about them. It's because we don't stand up for things that we believe. Mm. We just assume, if I knock on your door, Mel, if I knock on your door, I say, hey, I want to help you with this, I want you to help our neighbours, and you just look at me and say, well, yeah, he's always right, he always agrees, he always agrees with the good things, but where in society we're not reaching those people and they're becoming more and more disenfranchised and they're becoming less and less faith in politics, they look online 
ordinary people have never had so much power mm. over media and so much choice over media. And also there is, particularly in my generation, or your, the people around our ages, is um, we either understand and we get it or we don't. And there are people on social media, using social media now, who don't get it, and there is a naivety about understanding what is truth and, and what is not true. The growth of conspiracy theory is extraordinary. And we saw this in the Republic, and we see it here, and we see it in Britain. Well, you've seen our latest... Chemtrails. You've seen our latest contribution to Cultural that with, with Marxism. Us, with Gemma O'Doherty, this former anti-corruption kind of campaign. And, and a good journalist. And a good, good journalist. A good journalist. But almost overnight has become... A conspiracy theorist that would rival any conspiracy theorist. Did she get? Did she, yeah, you, and you, you asked her. Well, she's doing a lot of that. She's retweeting a lot of that United States stuff. Mm. I would never have thought I'd have seen a reasonably well-known Irish journalist, mm. really, um, retweeting this actor conspiracy theory. And it was it, oh, after the New, Ze- after after the New, New Zealand, Zealand shooting. Moses, they're yeah. all they're all they're all actors. They're all actors. And she's done quite. She's done quite a bit of it. And you think, wow, she's a. A serious person, mm, yeah. a serious Quite person in Ireland, mainstream. Mm. What happened to her? Where did it go wrong? I don't, I don't know. But I do know when that begins to happen, we need to. We can't. Li- we can't. No longer. We can no longer rest on our laurels. That, oh, well, mm. yeah. And like I said, there's a naivety. People never had so much access to news. We used to encourage people. Uh, be suspicious of news, be suspicious, you know, ask questions. And now we've got people who don't believe anything. Mm. Now we've got people who don't believe what the weather is. They're standing out in the sunshine <laughs> and someone in America is telling them it's raining and they want to believe that. And it's because we've, we didn't miss a trick, but I think we were overly confident that we, you know, we had a good input into newspapers. We had progressive journals, we had progressive ideas. Even when we had the worst governments and the worst things happening, we had a good, a good voice. Now everyone's got podcasts mm. and people are saying what they want and we don't know how to regulate it. There is a naivety about people and in defence of our ideals we have, to, we have to redouble our efforts not just because we want to change or create a better society but just to defend the society we have now. But isn't it it's difficult as well because you've got you know, all the social media activity but then you've got somebody like Farage who you know, people are saying... He's, he's not aligned to anybody. He's got a political party now, but hasn't been since he left UKIP since the referendum. But he's been on Newsnight 33 times or so. Or, or Unfortunately, yeah, I, I, I understand. I, and the BBC can't win. It's either run by cultural Marxists or it's run by crypto fascists. I, I, you know. um, the, the Farage thing is, I think they, put in, they kept putting up on television because he was like this pressure valve. Because if you had anything worse than. If you had anything worse than Farage um, espousing an opinion that we do see is becoming more and more mainstream and, and louder and louder, then you'd have to have someone like Tommy Robinson or Nick Griffin on every week. Mm. And like it or not, Farage is slightly more palatable, I think, for, for people at home. The, the, the Farage is looking like he's going to win the European elections. Um, and that's worrying, like the Brexit party, and that's worrying for a lot of people. And I guess when he and the Brexit party turn up in Brussels after the elections, the the rest of Europe will be wishing we had had Brexit because that'll be, yeah. the, that'll be the end of him. But he, he he's where he is, uh, whether he wanted to do it or not, because he created a situation now where he was a large contributor to the mess that is Brexit, a large contributor to this impasse where people can't get to the situation they want. He and others like him told 
what, what, what appear to be lies or porcupines. And then he is pushing this thing about it was just a yes or no vote, and he is quite right, and we still haven't left. We still haven't left the EU, and that's why he is back. And people like, you know, part of that anger is we're talking about the detachment from politics, the people who voted for Brexit and were passionate about wanting to leave, regardless of how harmful it may or may not be. Um, he represents that. He, rep he represents that, and he's got George Galloway has spoken with him about this. That they just they just want to leave, and he will do very very well. I, I don't see how you can keep him off television, but I wish we would have people up there that you know. He was up against Anna Subri on Question Time the other week. I'd never I, I, gives you a fair idea this the perilous state we're in. I've always found Question Time quite ugly and not very useful. Mm. He was screaming at her. He was shouting at her. He, you know, he does. He has this opportunity to represent a, a fair few people on this issue. I can't see how the BBC can keep him off. I wish he. I wish he wasn't always on. But there are so few coherent spokesmen or spokeswomen who are able to deliver what it is those people are thinking. Really. Yeah. Really. I difficult. wanted to ask um, one other question before we finish up. And that's, uh, I, know, I don't know whether it's part of your remit, mate, but it's clear that there has been a significant rise of kind of, people use the term right populism, I don't know yes. if that's the phrase, across Europe, from Hungary, Fedez, the Jobbik Party, the AFD in Germany, Vox, of course. In, and one of the things that strikes me about some of these new dynamics in politics is that, that it's not in EDL, it's quite middle class, it's quite mainstream, it's quite, you know, some of the new populist fascist parties. In some, in some of those countries also it's quite cultural. Mm. And in places like Italy and Hungary, there's no issue with people saying that they're fascists and that they're picking up where historically that they had ground or had some power or had some um, very strong influence. And in other countries like like in England, um, where we have an intellectual rise or certainly a cultural rise of activism and activists, they don't like to be called fascists. They don't all necessarily agree with each other. Mm. They all definitely agree that they want to shift the agenda across Europe to the right, so it's less friendly. There was a fascinating map, for instance, that someone put out, and it mapped across the votes for Adolf Hitler in 1933 and where the AFD was strong today electorally. Yep. And the two maps were almost identical. And you're like, did anything actually happen over the last static, 20 years? Uh, we, well, yeah. They just go underground. Static, for, for um, sta yeah, static communities. Yeah. Um, it, where they don't move, attitudes don't mm. shift. Uh, that might be that might be the issues. The problems are, of course, the AFD had a, have a different um, way of looking at economic problems. You know, they don't blame the Jews; they they blame Muslims. There is an argument amongst those people about how much of, how much of the world's ills are Jews to blame for, and how much of it are Muslims to blame for. Uh, but the idea is that they can shift it to the right. The attitudes in Hungary and Poland are about. Um, but they, have, they also have this quasi-anti-capitalist thing that they play with, don't they? Often to obviously to recruit the working class vote. But this is basically this has been yeah. anti-globalization, and they have this quasi-left-wing language. Yeah, quasi-left-wing, quasi-left-wing language. I was talking to uh, someone about this last night. Um, some of the some of the critiques of capitalism can often, if not done properly, boil down to anti-Semitism because we get to this point, yeah, yeah, but where does all the money come from? Where does, where, where does, it, where does it all go? Um, and it, it's quasi-left-wing because um, it, they can use a language that seems quite intelligent and it, mm. it's better than just saying the Jews, but, you know, there's an conspiracy. 
shifting Europe to the right will ensure, as they see it, that culturally that their countries remain Muslim-free, mm-hmm. gay-free, and godlike, which mm-hmm. is what drives the Visegrad Four countries. And we did loads of work in Hungary, and we saw from here James Dowson and, and Nick Griffin running this hub, which was spouting out all this stuff about the dangers of the EU is Islam, is Islamification and homosexuality. Yeah. In Poland, they're coming to abort your children, mm-hmm. uh, and we laugh at that. We say, "Well, people are just going to believe that." But in the, in these countries where people uh, don't have don't have never had so much access to news and opinion, that uh, this this picks up on them. The shift of the right is 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 about to happen in the European Parliament. Mm-hmm. Will will be a, a significant block, which will just continually try and in, in these particular countries where the right are obsessing. In Hungary, even the government obsesses about it. There, you know, they had a they had a like a plebiscite where they asked people, "Do you want more immigration or less?" <laughs> yeah, it's seriously. They, they they did it. But is it not to humanity? It's, it's cultural attitudes, mm. and they this uh, replacement theory that people tend, you know, they're tapping into this idea that people have economic uncertain times, mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it's working. Yeah, I'm not really sure how economically uncertain, but the, the, these times are than any other time before. Mm-hmm. I, I guess also it comes back to who's reading the news or what news what news you're listening to. There there are some commentators who are talking about oh, but also there's a realignment, and the left are also. Um, uh, are organising and, and getting better. I've not necessarily seen that. Uh, well, look, man, I want to, I want to, I want to thank you for today. I know you've got to go up. I've rabbited non-stop, I, I, but I, I had I, some I, lovely Nescafe. Right. You're all right. <laughs> I want to do a thank you for today. I know you've got to go up the dairy for another book launch. And yep. um, for those who want to buy this book and access it, where can they get it, mate? So I want to make sure you can that get it. You can get it on Amazon, but if you want the author to be paid, where well, you can get it at NaziTerrorist.com or go, go to Hope Not Hate and just Google it, Nazi Terrorist. Yeah, when, you, when you're Googling NaziTerrorist.com, make sure you get rid of your browsing history after that, because it's <laughs> just in case someone's monitoring you, all right? That's Nazi terrorism. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, make sure. The, the guy yesterday on the radio said, oh, he said, is that safe for work? And I was like, I hadn't even thought about it. <laughs> That's just the name of a book. Matt, uh, thanks very much. Um, we'll have you back. Good luck in Derry. Yeah. Just. Okay, thanks for listening. Um, if you're still interested in all things Brexit, please check out our blog, which is a... Uh, I think I mentioned it before, a partnership with the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. You can find it at brexitblog-rosalux.eu. And our next podcast, or a couple of podcasts, will be on everyone's favourite subject, sectarianism. And we'll, of course, be continuing our discussions around uh, the need for radical political education, focusing in on, on left political economy and what it is we and others mean by that. So that's us till then. Slava Foyle.